Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Uh, firstly, apologies for the break in um, recordings. I've been kind of busy in the last week or two, but we're back to uh, our regular uh, regular weekly or several times weekly updates. Secondly, I want to continue today to look at the question of um, revolutionary Russia and the making of peace in Europe in 1919. Um, it's uh, such a complicated and um, difficult um, bit of history to navigate because normally what happens is, uh, in particularly in study, the stories of the Russian Revolution and the Paris Peace Conference kind of run in parallel to one another, but there are significant intersections between the two that need to be explored. Russia, as we've all previously discussed, did not attend the Paris Peace Conference, um, or shall we say it was the, the new Bolshevik regime uh, did not attend the conference. Lloyd George had hoped that there was room to include um, Russia. Um, he said that he by and large had great sympathies with Russia's people and thought that they had um, fought valiantly during the war, often in the most arduous of circumstances. Um, and being badly let down by their government. He was no fan of Tsarism and was considerably more comfortable when the Tsarist regime fell and the provisional government, having a kind of a, a rather more liberal disposition, um, was uh, put in place. Um, he said, Their troops had fought without arms or munitions. They'd been outrageously betrayed by the government and it was little to be wondered at if, in their bitterness, the Russian people had rebelled against the alliance. Um... He said that basically Russia should be invited as there was it was a huge country. There were a couple of hundred million people um, uh, within its borders, and that if the um, Bolsheviks were not invited to the Paris Peace Conference, then the security and the future of Europe uh, would continue to hang in doubt. Was it possible to to not recognize the Bolshevik government? Um, he said, uh, to say that we ourselves should pick the representatives of a great people was contrary to every principle for which we had fought. Louis George had uh, a 
example from history that he liked to cite, and that was the fact that when the French Revolution had happened, instead of embracing the progressive phase of the revolution, uh, the British embraced the uh, émigré aristocrats that conspired uh, against the revolution and in part drove it to its, its more uh, radical and bloody phases. This um, led them into a war, led Britain into a war, Lloyd George said, that lasted about 25 years. And it's entirely possible in uh, between 1917 and 1919 to see um, alarming uh, precursors of Bonapartism emerging in Russia. Obviously, Lloyd George was in um, difficult territory when citing the examples of the French Revolution to Clemenceau. Clemenceau was a broadly liberal character who thought that the uh, revolution of 1789 uh, was uh, ideal, uh, whereas the terror of 1793 certainly was not. He was somebody who admired the creation of the, the National Assembly following the tennis court oath in 1789, but despised the Jacobin, and the Jacobin really were uh, what had emerged in Russia as far as he was concerned. Uh, he despised the Bolsheviks as well because he saw them as having uh, betrayed the alliance with the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk and had become uh, useful pawns of the Germans. Now there's a, a, a lot more that's written about this in Adam Tuzer's book um, The Deluge and about how Russia comes close to being a, a kind of a vassal state of the German Empire with um, the Bolsheviks as uh, potentially, um, this was some of the um, Allied powers' worst nightmares, the Bolsheviks actually acting as a kind of a puppet regime to um, the, the Germans. This view has attracted quite a lot of criticism, but actually um, I, I think there's something in it. Uh, but decide for yourselves. Read Adam Tooze's book, The Deluge. It's an absolute masterwork. I really like it. Clemenceau had also lived through um, the Paris Commune um, and the, uh, its violent, bloody suppression. So he knew a thing or two about revolutions that perhaps his um, uh, allies in Britain and America really didn't. Um, and it was the Paris Commune that had really uh, ended his relationship with socialism uh, and see, and he had seen it as a kind of a violent and uh, very troublesome uh, ideology. In 1919, um, also, he was aware that there were revolutionary undercurrents in France um, and uh, across Europe. And there was a worry that if the Bolsheviks did come to Paris, um, that radical voices in Paris, a, a revolutionary city, um, in a particularly revolutionary moment, might be encouraged. Um, it bears repeating that Clemenceau took two bullets from an anarchist assassin in 1919 and, and survived. Uh, so there, these are, fears were not completely without some kind of foundation. The prospect of some kind of rerun of the uh, suppression of the Paris Commune at the same time that the punishment of Germany was being negotiated, really rather filled Clemenceau with dread. So he was happy for the Bolsheviks not to attend if they couldn't make it. 
The problem as well in deciding who should attend the Paris Peace Conference from Russia is that Russia was in a case state of civil war. The Bolsheviks don't control the entire territory and couldn't be thought of really as the sovereign rulers of the country. Um, they controlled uh, Moscow um, and uh, uh, St. Petersburg, or Petrograd as it was at the time, soon to be renamed Leningrad. And there were obviously rival governments facing them from um, the, the, white, the white armies. Um, in the south, there was General Anton Denikin. Um, in Siberia, there was Admiral Alexander Kolchak. And there were large numbers of separatist movements in Ukraine, in Finland, and in other parts of the former Tsarist Empire. There was also rival claims to legitimacy on the left from the Social Revolutionary Party, who had a far greater electoral claim to legitimacy than the Bolsheviks ever would. They had basically won the November 1917 um, Assembly election, um, which was a uh, gave them an enormous democratic mandate, and it was a fact, actually, one of the most significant uh, democratic polls to have ever taken place, uh, uh, one which the, the Bolsheviks saw fit to ignore. Paris was and um, always really has been a, a magnet for emigres and exiles, um, and would be throughout the, the 20th century, and Russian exiles fleeing the Bolsheviks had gravitated there. Um, a group called the Russian Political Conference, which is a, a, a disparate organisation from conservatives to um, revolutionaries who'd fled the Bolsheviks, um, coalesced there. Unfortunately, due to the um, fractious nature uh, and the uh, divided nature of the white opposition to the Bolsheviks in Russia, the um, Russian political conference in Paris had very little support from the uh, the white armies themselves. Denikin and Kolchak um, were competing with each other far more so than they were collaborating, and they had no um, real communication with the conference, and obviously the Bolsheviks entirely rejected the legitimacy of the Russian political conference itself and had nothing to do with it. There, so there was um, nobody who was capable of realistically speaking up for Russia at the conference. So on the 16th of January, Lloyd George brought the um, issue to the Supreme Council. He thought there were three choices. Firstly, you could wage war in Russia. There was already an Allied intervention there. And this developed from a slightly piecemeal effort in 1918 to something much more significant in 1919 and 1920. Um, and the uh, stated aim had originally been to uh, protect uh, Allied personnel and property in Russia and to prevent large amounts of uh, munitions falling into German hands, but gradually, um, as a classic case of what you now call mission creep, emerged and uh, it became a, an explicit war against uh, the, Bolshevik, uh, the Bolshevik regime. Um, you could, the next option is you could um, insulate the world um, from Bolshevism, from the threat of Bolshevism, or thirdly, you could invite um, the Bolsheviks to meet with the peacemakers. The first two options, as I've said, had already been given a go, 
Um, and there was a blockade of Russia uh, in, uh, in process. And neither seemed to have really very much success. Bolshevik ideas had spread across Europe and they weren't really going anywhere. In fact, it is arguable that Bolshevik ideas had existed in Europe long before 1917 and they had actually migrated into Russia themselves. Lloyd George wondered if the Paris Peace Conference might also become a scene for arbitrating between different factions in the Russian Civil War. Um, and he said that um, ultimately this is what the Romans um, had done when they called um, Germanic barbarians to Rome uh, in order to kind of knock their heads together. Most of the participants in the intervention in Russia um, had significant misgivings about the mission itself. There were more than half-hearted attempts um, to uh, unseat the uh, Bolshevik regime. But there was also a, a lack of communication often with troops on the ground. There are all sorts of interesting accounts of American soldiers in Russia in 1919, 1920, without a clear idea of why they're there or what they're meant to be doing. And there was also a sense from American soldiers that um, overthrowing people's revolutions was not particularly the American way, given how America had come into being in the first place. There's always a hopes amongst peacema the peacemakers that the revolutionary phase of um, this new part of Russian history would die down, and a, a kind of essentially a bourgeois Russia would emerge, sensible, sane, uh, modern, and pragmatic, if perhaps authoritarian. And the decision to blockade Russia to prevent the revolution spreading um, obviously uh, added to Russia's economic crisis, but it also helped to enhance the power of the Bolshevik. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The entire regime thrived on a sense of siege, on um, the evidence that it could present its supporters with, 
that a uh, Marxist interpretation of history that once a people's revolution happened, once a proletarian revolution happened, there would immediately be moves to a counter-revolution from a hostile capitalist world. They were quite easy, uh, easily able to point to to European responses to the uh, Bolshevik Revolution of October 1917 and say, look, see, we told you um, our version of history is correct. Uh, this was all predicted and this is what happens. Authoritarian and democratic regimes are always helped by the existence of enemies real or imagined because then it's possible to use terror not only to combat the enemies externally but to hunt down enemies within, traitors, fifth columnists who are going to uh, unsettle and upset and try to undo the achievements of the, the People's Revolution. And of course, as previously mentioned, there were all sorts of misgivings around inviting Lenin or Trotsky to Paris. Um, so there was little decision on what to do. There were um, the French and the Danish ambassador had visited Russia in early 1919 and returned with all manner of tales, dismissed as lurid at the time, but probably quite realistic, uh, about Bolshevik terror. The conference uh, policy towards Russia was uh, inconsistent and unclear, ambivalent, and um, uh, the result of that was that um, mixed messages were sent uh, or unintentionally communicated from Paris to Moscow. Churchill, um, who was an enthusiast for war in Russia and for the destruction of Bolshevism, as he saw it, said that he required further clarity from the British government itself as to what the policy actually was. He said in his memoirs, Were they at war with Soviet Russia? Certainly not, but they shot Soviet Russians at sight. They stood as invaders on Russian soil. They armed the enemies of the Soviet government. They blockaded its ports and sank its battleships. They earnestly desired and schemed its downfall. But war? Shocking. Interference? Shame. Churchill, um, who was not remotely embarrassed about these sorts of adventures on foreign territory, knowing that, in his view, the destruction of the Soviet regime was uh, a moral imperative, really hoped that the British government would be willing to do the same. By 1919, the British people are really rather weary of war, and amongst the British working classes, there's considerable support for a new workers' state. Um, the refusal to load artillery shells onto the Jolly George ship um, at London, uh, London docks um, gave the British government fear that uh, the British dock workers, always quite radical and, and uh, revolutionary in some parts, um, were moving towards um, basic um, insubordination and perhaps even kind of a revolutionary, um, pre-revolutionary conditions. So declaring all-out war in Russia um, wasn't much of an option. Instead, we get one of these kind of classic 20th century uh, warfare fudges that we see time and time again of a kind of police action. Wilson said that he thought it was best that the Russians resolve their own problems um, and uh, figure things out between themselves. He said, uh, even though they wallow in anarchy for a while, I visualise it like this. A lot of impossible folk fighting amongst themselves. You cannot do business with them. 
So you shut them all up in a room and lock the door and tell them that when they have settled matters amongst themselves, you will unlock the door and do business. This is to imagine, of course, that there wouldn't be uh, further repercussions from um, the Russian Civil War. Whoever won, you were probably likely to see the fragmentation of the Russian Empire. And as we'd seen in the cases of Russia, Austria-Hungary, Germany and the Ottoman Empire, the uh, fragmentation of these empires unlocked powerful and dangerous nationalist forces. The model for dealing with Russia in Wilson's eyes had been the Mexican Civil War, where America refused to recognise the Mexican government until, until uh, in the eyes of um, the American government, Mexico had decided what its government actually was. And then there could be some kind of economic, political and diplomatic relationship. However, the difficulty complicating all of Wilson's most noble pronouncements is that, as we know, the Western Allies were already interfering and intervening in Russia. There was no simple shutting the door and leaving the combatant parties to sort things out, um, as Wilson had uh, had theorised. The, the British had gone to Russia in uh, the spring of 1918, um, landing at Archangel and Mamansk. Uh, the Japanese had seized Vladivostok and uh, marched westwards into Siberia, and they had um, done so to prevent the Germans getting their hands on oil and grain, uh, Russian ports and railways. Um, the Anything that was useful for the Germans uh, with which to wage war um, had to be secured. It was a way of counteracting as much of the damage of the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk as possible. When the Americans landed the force uh, in Russia, it was in part to counteract British and Japanese imperial designs, or suspected British and Japanese imperial uh, designs, and um, it was ostensibly to um, protect um, the Czech Legion, um, to whom Wilson felt America owed uh, obligations. Um, but the reality was that there was um, an immense fear about the, um, the, the, the productive capacity, the material capacity that Russia could represent to any imperial power, be it Germany um, or be it um, another power such as uh, Britain or Japan. Uh, America didn't want to have to um, cross swords with either of them, ideally, but simply because America was on the same side didn't mean to say that Wilson had any real trust or affinity for the British or the Japanese. As if to emphasise to the Bolsheviks the imperial designs of uh, European powers, uh, the British seized the oil fields of the Caucasus in the in the south, um, and there was the the possibility of a, a link up with the territories that Britain had conquered in, uh, in the the Ottoman Empire, um, and the French sent obviously their own token forces, but they were in uh, nine, early nineteen eighteen. Uh, extremely hard-pressed uh, as a result of the Ludendorff offensive. Um, the British decided not only to keep forces um, in Russia, but also to try to aid 
uh, anti-Bolshevik forces in, in the guise of the White Generals. So after November 1918, there was no withdrawal from Russia, whereas you, th you would imagine that there would be, as the case for securing resources and assets to prevent them falling into German hands would no longer apply. No. Now the intervention in Russia took a, a different course altogether, and its true nature was, was really revealed. It was a, an anti-revolutionary intervention. At the same time, Germany began to withdraw from the occupied territories that had been seized under the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, this mainly being the Ukraine, uh, Western Russia and the Baltic States. The uh, chaos that emerges there uh, as a result is almost impossible for the skeleton uh, allied forces to try to uh, control. And the reason why an anti-Bolshevik crusade doesn't emerge um, is the threat of mutiny in the army. Uh, further war um, and the prospect of uh, conscript soldiers now being sent to Russia after having fought in France for four years um, was tantamount to uh, the mass outbreak of insubordination uh, in the forces. The uh, Canadian army who had been sent to Siberia um, were desperate to return home by the summer. And across Canada, there was immense public anger and agitation um, about the issue, and this was known throughout the British Empire delegation. And the weak link in the chain uh, in Russia uh, was France. France, uh, low on uh, manpower, was only able to send a token force which was responsible for southern Ukraine and the Crimea. Um, the problem that happens is that when this force comes in any, any meaningful pressure at all, at all and it becomes a, uh, a mixed national force of Poles, Greeks and French, um, the, the uh, French make the, initiative, make the decision to withdraw. In Ukraine, not only did the Bolsheviks have to be fought, but also Green anarchists and the uh, Ukrainian national movement uh, had to be fought as well. More trouble than it was worth as far as the French were concerned. And the French army, which had uh, something of a uh, history of mutiny from Verdun onwards, um, was quite receptive to uh, French-speaking Bolshevik agitators who came to speak to French troops. Um, in 1919, the French um, pulled out uh, rapidly of Odessa um, and handing it uh, and the, its, its population, many of whom were uh, white or bourgeois Russians, over to the Bolsheviks. There were horrific scenes as uh, citizens uh, begged to get onto French warships um, and struggled to um, be evacuated, um, much as the uh, British had uh, finally tried to evacuate white soldiers uh, from the uh, the Crimea as well. Um, and the uh, evacuation from Sebastopol took 40,000 Russians, uh, including the mother of uh, the Tsar himself. This was followed two weeks later by the mutiny of France's Black Sea Fleet. 
France's final policy as regarding the Russian Revolution became what was called the Cordon Sanitaire. This was Lloyd George's second proposal of blockading uh, Russia, keeping um, Russia from uh, spreading westwards. So countries such as Poland, Czechoslovakia and Hungary uh, who'd eventually, ironically, become part of the Soviet Empire in a buffer zone against the West, were uh, in the 1920s part of a, a Franco-European um, pact to prevent Russian expansionism and also to hem in Germany in, in the opposite direction. Okay, well, I hope you've enjoyed that. And again, sorry for the uh, pause in recordings. Uh, we'll be getting back into the swing of things this week. Uh, listen in for uh, more episodes that will be coming your way, uh, probably today, if not tomorrow. And I'll speak to you soon on the Explaining History podcast. If you can go to our Facebook page, Explaining History, on Facebook, say hi, tell us what you think, get in touch, have a chat. And also, uh, if you can give us a good review on iTunes, that always does the ratings wonders. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.